bid you all welcome in the Lord's name on this Sabbath afternoon. Before we commence public worship, I have some intimations to make. For those who are desirous uh, to come into baptismal membership and have not yet had an interview with the session, then you are uh, welcome to approach the session uh, after this service for a short uh, interview. Also after the service, there is a time for tea and coffee and cookies um, downstairs, also for refreshments. And this coming Wednesday evening at 7.30 is our monthly gospel outreach in Picture Butte Community Centre. So do endeavour if you're able to be there and invite friends, uh, relations and colleagues and neighbours and anyone else you're able to invite if you can. All these announcements are subject to the will of Almighty God. I'm going to call you to worship this afternoon. Let us sing from Psalm number one, the first psalm. Psalm number one. That man hath perfect blessedness, who walketh not astray in counsel of ungodly men, nor stands in sinner's way, nor sitteth in the scorner's chair, but placeth his delight upon God's law and meditates on his law day and night. Singing the whole of Psalm 1 to the tune of St. Peter. Nor 
please stand if you're able to call upon the name of the living God in prayer. Almighty and everlasting Jehovah God, Thou Father, Thou Son, and Thou Holy Ghost, from everlasting to everlasting Thou art God, ever perfect in Thy holiness, ever pure and fiery in Thy love, O, oh, and ever strict in Thy righteous judgments. O Lord, we come before Thee only in the name of Thy Son. We may only ever approach Thee in the name and by that new and opened and blood-sprinkled way of the Gospel. For Lord, Thou art a glorious God and terrifying in judgments and holy in thy righteousness thou knowest and seest all things of man Lord and thine eyes are too holy to look upon sin and yet Lord thy mercies thy compassions they are great and Lord as thou art glorious in holiness by nature, how despicable are we in sin. We pray unto thee, our God, to have mercy upon us. And those of us that know by the grace of God that cleansing and the forgiveness of our sins, we come once again with hands and hearts that are stained and pray for that fresh forgiveness. We confess our sins. And thou, O God, are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness because of thy Son, Jesus, and because of his sacrifice, because of that precious blood. But we also pray unto thee, would thou have mercy upon those who have not laid hold upon the Lord, who have not called upon him for forgiveness, who do not trust in him. It is a sorrowful state. But we pray, O oh Lord, that thy word this afternoon would be blessed to them especially, blessed to all of us. We confess, O oh Lord, that thy word is, as was gloriously explained and expounded in detail this morning, it is sharper than any two-edged sword that man has ever invented. We pray, O oh Lord, for that word to be that scalpel of the heavenly physician. Lord, to a treat of our hearts, to cut away sin and self-righteousness, to cut away unbelief. Lord, to cut out all that is dead and that scalpel that gives life. O oh God, will thou have mercy even today. And we give thee much thanks, our God. For all that thou didst grant us this morning, we give thee thanks, O Lord, for the Lord Jesus Christ and for that precious sacrifice that he made, O God, that he willingly went as 
thy lamb, as the lamb of God, as our Passover, and had himself nailed to that tree, and hung there, and received, O God, thy fiery wrath, thy rebuke, thine anger, thine indignation, thine offended divine being for our sins, for our wickedness, for our rebellion. Lord, what he suffered. And we thank thee for that memorial that brings our minds and our hearts back to the broken body and the shed blood of Christ. We look to thee to multiply that blessing that we have received, that we might know that sanctifying and humbling work, that we would be drawn to thee, that we would know, may know thine own presence drawing nigh unto us. Lord, have mercy, we pray. Give help this, e this afternoon. To all that have come in, may it please thee, O God, even now to open hearts and to prepare hearts, that the word of Christ may enter in. Thy spirit, who bloweth where he listeth, would indeed cause many who are dead in trespasses and sins to live by the word of Christ, as he called Lazarus from the grave. May he, call, may he call souls dead in sin to life in Christ, even today, to the glory of thy name. We pray in the Saviour's name and for his everlasting glory. Amen. Take up your psalm books once again to Psalm 53. Psalm 53, singing the whole of the psalm to the chief musician upon Mahalath Maskil, a psalm of David. Psalm 53, that there is not a God, the fool doth in his heart conclude. They are corrupt, their works are vile, not one of them doth good. The Lord upon the sons of men from heaven did cast his eyes to see if anyone there was that sought God and was wise. Psalm 53, the whole of the psalm, singing to the tune of Salzburg.
turn with me to the New Testament and to the Gospel according to Matthew and chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. With the Lord's gracious help today, our attention will be drawn in the preaching to the first 13 verses, but we will read the whole of the chapter together. Matthew chapter 25, therefore commencing our reading at verse 1. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man travelling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same, and made them other five talents. And likewise he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoned with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, 
Lord, thou deliveredst unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid. And I went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast, that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchanges, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury, with interest. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was unhungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee, and hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee, a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was unhungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when we saw thee, when saw we thee and hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee, then shall he say unto them, 
saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Amen. Take up your psalm books once again before we come to the preaching and to Psalm 11. Psalm number 11. Psalm number 11. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. I in the Lord do put my trust. How is it then that ye say to my soul, flee as a bird unto your mountain high? For lo, the wicked bend their bow, their shafts on string they fit, that those who upright are in heart, they privily may hit. So the whole of Psalm 11, singing to the tune of Alexander.
please stand to pray. Merciful and compassionate Jehovah God, Thou who art the author of salvation, Thou who didst send Thine only begotten Son, and He that died upon that cross for the sins of others, having no sin of His own, but he is that pure and blemish-free Lamb of God. As we come to the preaching of thy word, we plead with thee for help to be granted that we would be helped by thee to focus in upon thy word, to listen and to listen aright, Lord, that we would not be distracted or distract others. Although there be many things of concern and importance in our lives, we pray, O oh God, that thou would help us put, as it were, spiritual blinkers upon our heart and our thoughts and our eyes, that we would look unto Jesus and focus on him alone. Would thou enable us to do so? But thou give us softened necks, for we are a stiff-necked people. Grant us understanding, because we are often willingly ignorant. Lord, soften our hearts, which be by nature and sinful instinct, harden against thee and thy truths. Lord, may we understand something today of the goodness of God in the good news of Christ. Grant gifts of faith. Lord, and where it pleaseth thee to convict and to awaken the soul that lies in sin, we pray, O Lord, that thou wilt bring it to that good end of conversion into Christ and into his everlasting kingdom. O Lord, grant help unto thy servant this afternoon, giving thee great thanks for that time around thy table. Lord, the soul is refreshed, but the body is tired. It may please thee to give that help, give unction upon me, give utterance, clarity of speech. Lord, all of my sufficiency is of thee. And therefore thou shalt receive all the glory. And give that help to us all. Draw nigh, O Lord. O forgive thou our many sins. For Christ's sake. Amen. So I bring your attention once again to the, our verses for this afternoon's preaching. Taken from Matthew chapter 25 and verses 1 to 13. 
Before we come to examine these verses, we must must come before the Lord with with a humble gratitude. All of us on this Sabbath afternoon and acknowledge his mercy and his goodness and his kindness to us in the Lord's table this morning. Those of us that were present to witness the gospel in intangible, visible things before us, for that is what we saw with the, the elements of bread and wine. And for those who were worthy to partake, their worth only found in Christ, and to taste and see that the Lord is good. And for those that came to the table for the first time, after a time of seeking and praying, it is a blessed time. For some it was a fearful time, mixed with an excitement. And as the Lord unfolds his blessing to each soul that partook in the coming time, we trust that it will be a joyful and a strengthening time ahead. One of those events that took place today around uh, the ministry of the ministering of the Lord, Lord's table, was something called the fencing of the table. Now the Reverend B has explained uh, what that is. There is no fence. We have no actual physical fence. There are some old Presbyterian churches that still have a fence, have a fenced-off area that they can close at time of communion. Uh, but essentially, it's a spiritual fence. And it's, it's cordoned off, it's fenced off with the words of Scripture. Uh, taken truly from 1 Corinthians 11, where the Apostle uh, makes it very clear that there are those that may eat worthily and come, and those that should not eat, for they will not eat and drink worthily, but they will eat and drink damnation, that is judgment to themselves. So that, that, that fence is there to make that division. And as I've already briefly mentioned, those that may sit at the table are those whose worth is only found in Christ. It is not in them. It's found in Christ. And anything good that's been done in their lives spiritually and for their benefit and for their salvation is all to the glory of Christ. It's all done by Christ and the Spirit of Christ. And therefore all the glory is of Christ. He is their worth. He is their Redeemer. He is their payment for sin. He is their all in all. He is their object of faith. And He is their King that commanded them to come and to sit and dine at His table. And those that remained outside of that fence did not partake of the Lord's Supper. That is not to say that some that were kept outside the fence had no right and were not worthy in Christ to enter in, but for various reasons. Some technical matters of church membership may be. Those who are spiritually insecure about a God-given faith. But they did not come. They were fenced outside. They were, even though by grace, they belonged at the table. You may have then, if I'm describing you, looked at that table with longing eyes. 
It may have been a bittersweet moment for you to sit there in the pew, but know somewhere in your heart there was a place for me at that table. There was indeed a spare seat. And maybe you looked with a spiritual envy and jealousy at that chair. Would that I had less of the fear of man and more of the fear of God, I should have been sitting there. Would I had that, that holy boldness, I should have been sitting there. Oh, I feel myself so weak. Then you should have been sitting there. The table is not for spiritual giants. It's for those who know themselves weak and poor and broken and looking unto Jesus as the author and the finisher of their faith. And knowing that they need every crumb of strength and help that the Lord offers. Every means of grace. But you weren't there. Not this time. And this fence, although it's very imperfect in its application, because we, we lay the fence and we invite those that uh, would come, and then we have just mentioned there may be some outside that should be there, it's still a picture of a greater division that is found within the church. Within the church of Christ, the visible church of Christ, there is a division between believers and unbelievers. And that great division points to the greater division yet to come, and that is the day of judgment. Some of which we have read about, some of which we've sung about. And that is when God himself will fence forever a division. An eternal division, an eternal fencing off of the kingdom from, of heaven from those that will go into the eternal lake of fire. It's a solemn truth. With everlasting, never-ending consequences. Coming back to our parable that we have, the wise and the foolish virgins, there are many who haven't interpreted and understood this in so many ways and they've picked every little detail that they can and they've given everything a meaning and giving everything an expression. Some have been overly allegorical in that way. Some meanings are just plainly heretical. But we should be careful that we don't try to be cleverer than the intention of the parable. Most parables, if not all, really have one spiritual meaning, one spiritual message. Other things are in there as well. But it's a simple teaching to point to that one thing. And although there are many interesting details that we could look at, and I will pass over, but let us do understand, as I've said before, let us understand things simply and soberly from the scripture according to the context according to the teaching of these verses and the keystone of these verses then is verse 13 helping us to understand all the rest that's being said is watch therefore for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the son of man cometh 
Are you ready? Are you prepared? Are you prepared for your own death? Are you ready for the day of judgment? That's really the, the main thrust of what we see in this parable. And so, with the Lord's gracious help this afternoon, let us consider this, the final fencing of Christ's church. The final fencing of Christ's church in five points. Firstly, who are these ten virgins we're introduced to in verses one to four? Secondly, the bridegroom for whom they're waiting tarries in verse five. Thirdly, the Lord returns in verses six and moving on. Fourthly, the eternal state that is indicated in verses 10, 11, and 12. And fifthly, an exhortation. Wake up. Wake up. Verse 13. So the final fencing of Christ's church we see in our first point. Who are these ten virgins? Who are they? Well, before we get to that, what is this kingdom of heaven that's introduced to us? Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins. Well, they're linked. The kingdom of heaven is likened unto ten virgins. These wise and foolish virgins together make up the church, make up the kingdom of heaven upon earth, the church of Christ upon earth. This church is a mixed body. It's a mix. As I've already mentioned in the introduction, it is a mix of believers and unbelievers. So there are two types to be found in the church, only two. Only two types. Wise and unwise, as we see here. Saved and unsaved, that's pointing to. The regenerate, the unregenerate. We can go even deeper and we say the elect and the reprobate. Another term that can be used, or wouldn't be quite so clear here, the invisible church together with the visible church. But they are part of the visible church. And to emphasize that point, let me say this. Those that are in the church and are by God's grace in the kingdom of Christ. And the other group, those who are in the church having an external covenant with Jesus Christ, and yet are found in the kingdom of Satan. The division. And I'll put it once more in another way. Those who have been baptized, and they have added to those covenant privileges that they have received the duties of the covenant. To believe the Lord. To repent and to believe, to follow the Lord, to turn to their Lord, the Lord of their covenant. And then those others who have also been baptized have also received the privileges of that covenant. But are covenant breakers. And they esteem the riches of Egypt greater than the reproaches of Christ. That is what is meant by this kingdom of heaven. And it's split into two groups. Does that mean 50% of the church is saved and 50% isn't? 
That's not what, again, that's a detail that the Lord is not making. But let us consider the five wise virgins. Wise. Sounds like a, a good thing, and it is a good thing. The title wise is given to those who have put away foolish sin. A foolishness for their soul, a foolishness for their life, a foolishness that is an abomination towards God. They've put away that sin, they have received grace, and they have wisely endeavoured to enter in to the kingdom of heaven. They believe the scriptures. No, no, I'm not saying they have respect to the scriptures and they read the scriptures. They believe the scriptures. That's something very different. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. He hasn't said it publicly. He said it in his heart. He doesn't believe the scriptures. That fool that said in his heart, there is no God, is found in every congregation, and maybe more of them. The religious atheist. They have religion, they have ritual, they have respect. But they don't truly believe in God, they don't truly fear God. They're not really conscious of, conscious of God. For they do not believe the scriptures, because in the scriptures we see a wonderful God of creation. A God that provides for his creation. A God that is holy and kind. A God that is terrifying in his righteousness. But a God that gave his only begotten son to save sinners from themselves and from their own foolishness. No, they believe the scriptures, these wise virgins. Therefore, they believe the promises of the scriptures. And that has made them wise unto salvation. Paul says that to Timothy in his second epistle to Timothy. 3 and verse 15. He says, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Because the Holy Scriptures have been believed as a true witness of God and it is the Scriptures that say that you must believe in the Word, you must believe in the Lord, you must follow the Lord. Essentially the, the same Gospel of the Old and the New Testament. Turn. O oh, my people, from your sins, turn and put your trust in the Lord. Again, the Hebrew words for repent and believe that we have in the New Testament. And because they've believed the warnings, the threats, and the promises of the gospel, they have become wise unto salvation. And believing the word of God is, is the humble act of a wise man that confesses that I do not have, have it within myself. I do not have this knowledge. I do not have this understanding. I do not, I do not have wisdom. I must have wisdom from above. And, and, and from above we've received the word of God. They've received wisdom. 
And not only wisdom in the scriptures, but wisdom personified in the, in the God-man Christ Jesus. They have received his wisdom, they've re received his word, and therefore they've received him. He who is wisdom. The wisdom of God. The apostle says so. In 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30, he says, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And the Lord Jesus says so himself in Matthew 7. He says this, Therefore whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man who built his house upon a rock. So if we hear and we believe and therefore we do God's word, not hearers only, not religious hypocrites, but doers also, where he says repent, we repent. Where he says follow, we follow. Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man. That's these wise virgins. Notice they had lamps with them. Their lamps were filled with oil. That detail's not given here, but they must have been filled with oil because, as we see in verse 8, that the foolish uh, virgins, their lamps went out. So the lamps were on. So the lamps were filled. The lamps were lit. And they had an extra vessel, some sealed jar, some... jar of pottery a small urn they would have in those days and it would top up the lamp and here's the challenge here's the question do, do, do these have any signification what is the what is the lamp the vessel and the oil signify well without trying to add anything in there and trying to be hyper more spiritual than this than the word of God itself I would suggest in the context of the parable that the oil well it's the source of the light so that the lamp would shine so I would suggest that the lamp is in some way the soul. And that the oil is, the God, is God's grace at work in that soul. And what is that vessel then? Well that vessel is Christ as the eternal source of grace for that lamp. If you disagree with me I won't bother with the arguing. I'm just trying to give meaning to what I understand here. So what about these five foolish virgins then? Well, sin is described in the scriptures as foolishness. Unbelief is the worst of sins, so it is the worst of foolishness. Putting faith, therefore, in anything other than Jesus Christ is absolute foolishness. And the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. And is corrupt in his foolishness. As I mentioned about that fool in Psalm 14 or Psalm 53 that we sung, there is no public confession made by this fool that they are an unbeliever. In fact, maybe they have made a public confession that they do believe. But at the heart of the fool is an atheism. That there is 
know God. And we see by their fruit that they do not believe God, they do not know God, they do not fear God. Is because they have a lack of faith and they have a refusal to repent. And some of them have very clever theological uh, ways and means to describe why they will not repent. But I will come with a very simple gospel explanation why you will not repent. It is because you love sin more than you love Jesus. That's, that's what it comes down to ultimately. You choose sin over salvation. We could go worse. You choose Satan over the Savior. And I think that's very true and shows how deeply corrupt sin is. It's destroyed our heart. It's marred the image of God that we have It's caused our hearts to be deceitfully wicked. To whom? Primarily to you. Your own heart to you. And yet such foolish virgins continue to attend church. Their lamps do not have grace, but their lamps do burn. As I said, verse 8 says that their lamps were gone out. So what we see is that the return, of Christ, the, the return of Christ, as we will see very shortly, their lamps go out. Their lamps go out. The wise virgins, there's nothing mentioned except that they trim the wick, that their lamps don't go out. They have supply aplenty. But these had no extra supply. So what was burning in those lamps? It wasn't the grace of God. Maybe we could say it's the providential kindnesses of God. Might even use the word the common grace of God is is removed from them. So the little that they had was taken away from them. And that would bring us to the second uh, uh, teaching in Matthew 25, which we'll not look at. But we read together. But they have no ready supply of grace from the Saviour himself. For because they are not his and he is not theirs, they are not joined together. And another example we could take is from the the candlestick in in the tabernacle in the temple. And that there was a source of oil that fed each and every of the candlesticks themselves. All fed from one main reservoir of oil. In the same way that, that he is the source of strength and grace and, and washing and salvation and love and comfort all flowing from Jesus personally to every single individual believer. But they've had that not. It was not theirs because Christ was not theirs. And then the Lord himself goes on to describe unbelieving fools. I'll add to the context of what I'm about to say, even to true believers who are foolishly not believing every word that God has spoken. That is the direct context because he's speaking to the two on the road to Emmaus. Luke 24 and and verse 25, Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. They're fools. Because they're slow in their heart to believe everything 
that Christ's own Old Testament prophets have spoken. And, and they were to repent of that foolishness, and you are to repent of that foolishness. And there's so much detail we could go into in the sin of disbelieving the Word of God. But if you do not believe the Word of God, I can say there is absolutely no hope except you receive grace to believe the Word of God. So who are these ten virgins? Well, we've examined it. It is the church. It is the church of Christ with that mixture within it. Secondly, the bridegroom tarries. We see in verse 5, that while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. So the bridegroom has left. We direct you then to the historical fact of the, um, the heavenly ascension of Christ on that Thursday, uh, ten days before the true day of Pentecost took place. We see here, when we consider the church is then waiting for the Saviour, uh, that this is the church expectant, hoping. The church made up of wise and foolish virgins waiting for the Lord. The Lord has been exalted. He's sitting at the right hand of the, of the majesty on high. And he's, the church is patiently waiting for his return. He's told them. He's given them many promises. He's given them many parables for them to realize that there would be a wait. He wouldn't just be coming next week. There would be a long wait. And she is to continue the great commission that the Lord gave to her so that the foolish in the world and in the church would hear the gospel of her Lord and bridegroom. So that's the church expectant, awaiting the Lord's return. But what we also see here is the church rebuked. It's a sorrowful picture when we read this in verse 5. While the bridegroom tarried... They all slumbered and slept. It's not just the foolish virgins, but the wise ones as well. The whole of the church of Christ, on its whole, there will always be little exceptions here and there. But in, in general, for the, for the numbers that are in the visible church, there was only one Luther. There was only one Calvin. There was only one, and, and pick your favorite Puritan. But they are the exceptions. The church en masse in all the various countries, in all the various, as we have these days, denominations. It's a sorrowful picture. They waited, but they did not watch. They waited, but they did not watch. What does this word watch mean? Because it's got nothing to do with what you wear on your wrist. It's not just staring at somebody. It's not just watching in that way. This word watch, you would know, from the night watchman. That's what the night watchman did. And I trust you know that. There are factories that had watchmen. There were, there were towns and cities that had watchmen on the walls. They kept watch. They stayed awake. They were alert. They didn't fall asleep. They were on duty. That's what watch means. They were on duty and they stayed awake. And they did that which they ought to do. So they were to remain awake and alert, doing that which the Lord has told them to do, expectantly watching for his return. 
being found busy in the things that the Lord had commanded them to do. And yet, what does the Lord himself say who knows his church so well? He says they slumber and they sleep. The church is filled with those who are drowsy or who are absolutely asleep. Again, we have a, a division there. Neither of which are very positive. Let's be honest. I would suggest that it's the foolish virgins, virgins who sleep. And the wise virgins are a little, not much better being described as drowsy. Almost asleep. As good as asleep. But not quite. And yet when you consider the activity of the visible church over the last 2,000 years, there's been much activity. You know, there are rituals in churches that are many denominations that are still growing and changing and, and merging and, and, and whatever. There are meetings everywhere. There are, there are conferences. The world's filled with Christian conferences. We've got the tele-evangelists. We've got the millions of congregations that exist. We've got the millions of people with their own special mostly self-named ministry, how modest of them. But the earth, the earth is filled with them. The earth is filled with activity. And yet the Lord says, the best of my church slumbers. And the unconverted in my church, well, they're fast asleep. What is very interesting is the, 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 the table talk that we received this morning pointed to these very matters also. So let us Christians be concerned that we're not slumbering. That we're actively doing that which the Lord has commanded us to do. That we would be wise and watchful virgins. By God's grace we're wise, but by our own foolishness, even as wise virgins, we slumber. We are not as devoted and obsessed is maybe a negative word. We are maybe not as fully devoted to the Lord and to his word and to his commandments and to his love as we should be. We're slumbering. We get by with a little bit of the Lord every day, just enough to waken us up, our soul, because our soul needs him. And then it goes back to sleep again into the worldly activities. So I'm not asking for a hand, a show of hands of those who feel their guilt as I'm saying these things. I'd have to put my hand up as well. But the Lord says it's a general malaise. It's a general sickness, condition, even of his precious and beloved wise virgins. But I can well imagine as I see this that the Lord is grieved at the truth. And so let us then endeavor, especially those who've received blessing and grace at the table this morning, uh, that we would plead with the Lord, Lord, I confess, I'm a drowsy disciple. Awaken me more. May I love him more. May I serve him more. May I be alive to him more. May I bear more of his image in my life. 
So who those ten virgins are, the bridegroom as he tarries, and then we have the immediate return in our text, the, 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 the surprise return of, of the Lord. The Lord returns in verse 6, and at midnight there was a cry made, the, the cry of a watchman, crying out, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Which really then carries on from verse 1, actually. Verses 2 uh, to 5 were giving us some, some background information. Verse 1, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. That brings us to verse 6 and 7. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. But see that sudden return. And so all those other things that we've looked at are, are good and interesting and, and important. But this is, this is really the crux of the matter that we see here, that there is a sudden return and the point of that verse is to just emphasize how unexpected his return was. Even though it was promised, even though there are things around the return of Christ that he, 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 he tells us about. But verse 13 reminds us we do not know every single detail. He says, watch therefore in verse 13, For ye know neither the day nor the hour, but you should be able to discern the season. And those details we will not get into now on those end time things. And they are of an interest, but I think the interest of your own soul before God is more pressing, is more important. Even though we have these build-up of armies in the Middle East and in Europe looking to ignite a war, it seems... But you watch, therefore, for you know not the hour nor the day when the Lord will return. And when he does return, there will be an end of all wars. But are you still at war with Christ, shall we say? It is there a war in your heart against him because his return is sudden and his return is final. And then the church as a whole will awaken. So we see as the return of the Lord is very sudden. We see the panic of the fools, secondly. They panic. The foolish said unto the wise in verse 8, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. And so at the return of the Lord, we have the foolish versions. We have the false converts in the church, the curless churchgoer, the dead orthodox, and the dead liberals all awakening, all panicking, because they are all caught unprepared. So those days of sitting in the pew, of attending these church services, of, of reading the Bible after their meal, of, of saying their prayers, uh, were, were all of no use, because at the end of all of that, be it five years, be it 55 years, they were still unprepared. Because it is not as, as the heathen world or as heathen Christianity, and I point to Roman Catholicism, would say, you know, that the Lord Peter would stand at the gates and ask how many good things and how many bad things or any other sort of heathen understanding of righteousness, which is a false righteousness, a works righteousness. 
That's not what the Lord is going to say. How many, how many times did you open the Bible and read your devotional after your meal? The Lord's not interested in that. He says, he would say, do you love my son? Is your heart sprinkled in his blood? Have you followed and obeyed the Lord Jesus Christ? He doesn't need to ask those questions. He knows the answer at the day of judgment. But they were all caught unprepared. The unsaved Calvinists, the unsaved Arminianists, the unsaved Greek Orthodox, the unsaved Evangelicals, all of them unsaved and unprepared to meet their maker. They do not have the grace of God in their vessels. They do not have any connection with the Lord Jesus Christ. Their lamps that burned with works and activities have now gone out and they have no divine vessel wherewith to fill them again. And then they go to the foolish, then they go to the wise uh, virgins seeking to obtain grace from them. And they, they wisely answer that they need all the grace that they can have for themselves. And they are not the source of grace. They have to go where they can get grace from. And we could go into that detail and say that they are to go to the gospel preacher and hear the preaching of Christ. They are to get on their knees, as it were, before the cross of Christ and plead for mercy. But the day of grace has now finished. The Lord who tarried has returned. It is too late they have wasted their life and their time to such an extent that it is absolutely too late. There is no second chance. There is no chance that you could go to hell and hear the gospel because there is no grace given in hell. There is no working of the Spirit to trouble in hell because God is too busy with His wrath upon those who are in hell. All goodness and kindness and, and grace is removed. It's too late. It's too late. Which brings us to our fourth point, the eternal state that's pointed to here. The eternal state. Matthew 25 and verse 10. And while they went to buy, and we could link that in with Isaiah, but for the sake of time we won't, Verse 10 then, and while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage. And the door was shut. And they that were ready went in with him. So as the, as the Lord appears suddenly for those that are ready, it is not panic, it is not shock, it's glory. It's glorious that the Lord whom I have loved without seeing, being blessed. Blessed are those that have believed and seen me not. And then we see him. And he returns and he takes his bride with him and that's signified by the five virgins. And they enter into the marriage feast of the Lamb. And here we have that commencement of the, may we say the eternal Lord's Supper become a glorious feast. This is a foretaste of it. This is what we call in theology the consummation of redemption. It's all being completed. When we would look at the virgins here, we would add to it and say, well, they are now resurrected. 
body and soul. And they are the redeemed of the Lord that enter in. And they enter into the joy of their Lord. No more watching and waiting. But made perfect in holiness and enjoying an eternal fellowship with the saints and most especially with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Never to be broken, never to be divided from him. Being divided in with him. Fenced in with Christ forever and ever. There's the marriage feast with the wise, but we have the rejection of the fools. Fools that were not prepared and are now rejected. Verses 11 and 12. Afterward came also the other virgins saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily, truly, I say unto you, I know you not. You can just picture that door. There's a door and, and they're banging on it. And then the Lord himself answers. To give a very personal message from the king himself. Doesn't send a servant. Doesn't send a, a apostle, an apostle. Doesn't send an Old Testament prophet. He could have done all of those things. But here's the most frightening of all. That he comes to the foolish and unprepared sinner and gives them a personal message. It's chilling. Truly, verily, I say unto you, I know you not. It's closed forever. For the sake of the parable and that we would understand the seriousness of not being prepared in this life. That we would take these serious warnings to heart. The foolish versions are said to return to petition at the entrance of the kingdom. In reality they are already in outer darkness. They are already cast into hell. But this is just the use of a parable that we would understand. Parable, as I said, is to teach us a spiritual truth. It is not a doctrinal block that we can pull everything out and understand many details. But notice it this, that it does not say that they found grace to fill their lamps. It doesn't say anywhere that they came with their filled lamps and said, Lord, look at our filled lamps, we're here now. The day of grace was finished. But we do have them knocking on the door of the kingdom and we see them praying now, maybe the first time praying in urgency and truth to the Lord. Lord, let us in. Open to us. Open the kingdom to us. The Lord could not open the kingdom to them. What has light got to do with darkness? What has holiness got to do that with that which is profane? Nothing that which is profane that is unholy and dirty, nothing which is wicked, nothing which is disobedient, nothing which is of the devil will enter into that kingdom of heaven. 
Therefore they cannot enter in. And the only way that they could be cleaned, that they could be justified, that they could be purified, was by having believed savingly on the Lord Jesus Christ, becoming wise unto salvation. But they remain fools in their sin. And so their only way of getting into the kingdom was the Lord Jesus Christ, but he has fully and finally fenced off the kingdom to sinners. You today are still in a day of grace. The Lord has kindly drawn you into a gospel preaching church. The word of God is opened up. The words of God are opened and clarified and preached to your soul. Why would you not become wise unto salvation? Why would you not become one of these wise virgins and deliver, be delivered, be delivered from the wrath to come. Even the Pharisees, even Pharisees came to John the Baptist looking to be washed, looking to be part of this great revival that was happening in Judea at the time because they didn't come with the right heart. They came with foolish, hypocritical hearts. But even then they had understood something for he said, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I'm warning you to flee from the wrath to come. But the Lord has spoken. They will not be admitted to the kingdom of God forever. That gospel season has ended. The foolish virgins never knew the Lord. They didn't know him savingly. They didn't walk with him. They didn't know him. The heart didn't plead with him. They didn't know him. He did not know them. He never knew them. They were never sorrowful and repentant on their knees before the Lord. They never trusted in him and followed him. He was not their refuge and strength in time of need. He never knew them. They were not part of his bride. They still belonged to the devil. They would be cast in the eternal lake of fire where the devil goes. And because he doesn't know them, he rejects them. The kingdom of light shut out. There are only two destinations for your never dying soul. You know this. And yet you can live knowing this because you're asleep. You know in your head, you've heard it enough, you've read it enough, you know there is a heaven to enter, there is a hell to flee. You know that, there's only two destinations. There is nothing in between, there is no purgatory. There is no Protestant purgatory of waiting until God makes the first move because he has. It's called the gospel. It's called the sacrifice of his son and the command of his son to repent and believe on him. Is that not a first move enough? Two destinations. You can't say... I'm saved by Christ. You can't say I, 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 I have desire and hope and love towards Christ 
well then you must admit that you are in your sin and you are hellbound. Oh yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, in theory that's very true. That's not theory, that's an eternal fact until you repent and believe. Until you trust the words of God. You take his warnings and his promises as serious as life and death itself because it is a question of life and death. Humble yourself, but you will not. But you should and you must. Humble yourself before God. God, I have sinned against thee. The admission of sin, the confession of sin. But Lord, I don't want to sin again against thee. And I want forgiveness for all my sins. Whosoever thus calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Who are these ten virgins? The, the bridegroom that tarries, the Lord, he returns, the eternal state before us. And then finally to continue this, wake up. Watch therefore, verse 13, watch therefore for you know neither the day nor the hour in the Son of Man cometh. To the foolish virgins among us, that would include false converts. To the foolish virgins amongst us, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Remember what that word watch means. Be awake. Wake up. Ephesians 5 and verse 14. Again, our brother quoted it from the table. Or something close to it this morning. Ephesians 5 and verse 14. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest. And arise from the dead. And Christ shall give thee light. Awake thou that sleepest, arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. So that sleep we can say is a sleep of sin. You're slumbering in your sin because hell does not terrify you. The wrath of God is just three words and, yeah, doesn't touch you. Because your soul is dead in sin. That's how foolish the heart is of the unrepentant sinner. But when you consider your sinful state under the wrath of God, you must awake yourself out of your sin sleep. So, well, I, and I'm not saying that you should try to do it out of your own strength because you have none. But these truths you take to the Lord. Lord, there is a hell and I realize that there is a, a hell for me because I have no I have no faith in Christ and, and, and the preacher says I'm asleep and indeed these truths of, of hell and the promise of heaven, they barely stir my soul and affect me. Lord, deal with me. Awaken me. Ephesians 5.14, Lord, thy word. Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead and Christ shall give thee light. Lord, give me these things. I repent and believe. So when you are stirred by God's Spirit, especially under the preaching, 
when you are stirred awake, when, there's a, when you're coming out of the sleep into a light slumber and you realize, hang on, the, 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 the preacher's preaching to me. The Holy Ghost has taken that word and it's coming into me. Don't fall asleep again. Call upon the name of the Lord. And then believe what he says. He says if you do call upon him, if you go to the Lord in that true and genuine hearted humility, he will in no wise cast you out. Let the word of God stir you awake to your need of Christ because you must be prepared to meet thy God. From the, from the prophet Amos, of course. Therefore, therefore thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. Amos 4 and verse 12. We are all going to die. And you must be prepared to die well. Many people... There's many people that don't, but there is a number of people who, who prepare for death financially. They have life assurance policies, they, they buy property, they, they, they set up funds and trust funds for family. They, they do all sorts of things for their own pension age, for when they get older, but also for their own families, for their children and, and whoever else they love. To help them, maybe to help a good cause also. They are prepared to die financially. In a financial positive way. But here it's about being prepared to die well. So that you may meet your God and your maker. As your king and your saviour. And not as your eternally terrifying judge and executioner. And so having been stirred up by the word of God, as I've said, you are to call upon the name of the Lord so that your soul will be prepared to meet God at death. But you have a limited time to do so. In general terms, you neither know the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh, but you also do not know when the Lord will end your life and will require this evening of your soul. Let me speak to the wise virgins, to the children of God saved by grace. Be wiser still. Be wiser still. By God's grace, seek that the Lord will awaken you further in your Christian walk and life. Paul, the apostle, in a few verses down from what I've already quoted, Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 16. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days of evil. Not, not, not slumbering the time, but redeeming the time for the days on evil. Because then on the Lord's return, you are not found slumbering, but found, but found doing the things that the Lord has you to do. And I'm not talking about these big, dramatic, self 
entitled, self-proclaimed ministries that the Lord would have you to do. He's put you in families. He's put you in congregations. Providentially, he's put you in work with friends. There is the work that the Lord lays before you. Ephesians 2 and verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. There are doors that the Lord opens, and we are to obediently do them, but we are to work, and we are to live, and we are to speak according to the word of God. A good study of, the, of, of Ephesians would be a very good start. A practical Christianity that comes forth from a true spiritual Christianity. Be wiser still. So as we close, there are only two types in the church. Which group do you belong to? Which side of the fence should you have sat on? Which means there are only two destinations. Which one are you heading to? Without a humbling of yourself before God in repentance and, f- and again humbly following Christ's way and not your way, there is only one destination for your soul. Hell. And for your soul and body in the lake of fire. There's not a chance that you can just sit there and ignore the gospel, despise the blood of Christ, and then God suddenly saves you. That's not how it's presented in the scriptures at all. If you remain an enemy of Christ and you're obstinate and against him and refusing to obey him, then it's a woeful eternal destination. You will not have the comforts of life because it is an eternal death. All the beauties and the talents and the abilities, gone. They were God's gifts taken from you. There is a blackened, wicked soul left. Cast into the fire. You do not have the image of God restored you in the image of Christ. But you have fully grown into the image of the devil. Although you be a human soul still. The difference between those two types and those two definitions, those two destinations, sorry, is Jesus. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Does he know you? Stop sleeping in your sin. Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead. And Christ shall give thee light. May God bless his word to you. Amen. Let's stand to pray. O merciful and glorious God, we give thee thanks for thy word that we have received today. The voice of God speaking to every soul present, young and old. And Lord, who are we then to put our hand over the mouth of God or into our fingers, into our ears and refuse to hear what God would say to us and and hear the goodness of God in that he warns us from beforehand 
of his righteous wrath against us for our sin, but also commands us to be wise in what we think of Christ and what we do with Christ. We confess our great weakness. That we're not just a little bit ill in trespasses and sins, but we are dead in trespasses and sins. And yet under the power of the means of grace, Lord, the power of thy word and the work of thy spirit, we pray for stirrings, we pray for conviction, but Lord, that they would all end up in conversion. That we may see, O Lord, the next fencing of this table, more souls saved by grace, those who are too timid to come on, that may they receive boldness and strength from thee and therefore sit at thy table. No worthiness in themselves. Nobody's good enough. But Christ, he alone is worthy of all our praise and honour and worship. O oh God, hear us and have mercy upon us. For Christ's sake, amen. Take up your psalm book, please, to Psalm 125. Psalm 125. Song of Degrees, Steps, Ascents. They in the Lord that firmly trust shall be like Sion Hill, which at no time can be removed, but standeth ever still. As round about Jerusalem the mountains stand alway, the Lord his folk doth compass so from henceforth and for a. Psalm 125, singing to the tune of belief. And we will immediately afterwards say grace for the refreshments and then you receive the benediction.
Merciful God, we do thank thee for all the refreshments that we have received this day. Refreshment for our soul and by the word and the grace of God. We thank thee, Lord, for thy word. And we thank thee for all these refreshments that are served downstairs for the good of the body. Bless them, we pray thee, Lord. We thank thee for all that thou hast granted us. It is all from thy hand, all good and perfect gifts from thee, O Father of lights. Therefore accept our thanks and bless them, we pray. For we pray thee in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Receive the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. <laughs>